folks, if you've stuck with me this long, you've heard a lot about my life. From my birth in 1981, through my middle school and high school years, into and out of college, through Guatemala and getting married and having three kids and starting a business and being broke and having all sorts of adventures all around the globe. And this year is no different. And it all starts with a fantastic week in Washington, D.C. Stick around and I'll tell you all about it. I'm Jacob Slayton and this is my entire life. All right, folks, I've got five stories for you this year, and it starts in Washington, D.C. I booked an event job that year, uh, that May, in D.C. for this uh, client that was uh, um, a big, uh, it's the American Academy of Pediatric Dentists, which is great, right? I mean, you wouldn't believe how many just events and associations and annual meetings there are out there. And uh, I've been really lucky to get to work with some really good ones. And this was the first time that I was ever shooting for uh, the AAPD. And so I was excited about it. They had booked me and Andy for, um, I think it was five or maybe six days of shooting in DC. And DC is awesome. So we were super, super excited about going there. And on top of that, like I told you in last week's episode, I had been listening to a lot of the new Bonnie Vare album, 22 A Million. And as I always do, whenever I'm traveling, I look up and see what bands are playing in the area. And it just turned out that um, Bonnie Vare was going to be playing a show in D.C. the week that I was going to be there. Actually, it was in Maryland at the um, Meriwether Post Pavilion. Right, uh, right across the uh, the way, right across the state line into Maryland, but it's basically right there in D.C. Right, and so I'm like super excited about this. Me and Andy immediately get tickets to see Bonnie Vare, and we didn't know it. Uh, we didn't know what our schedule was going to be like yet, but we were just kind of hoping and planning that we would be able to be free that night so that we could go see this show. Right. And in the meantime, uh, my good friends, Robbie and Candace had been hiking the Appalachian Trail um, that year. I don't remember when they started, but they started in, I think, Nashville, and they were going to do like the whole thing, right? And so they had, I'd been texting with them, you know, throughout their, their journey, and they were kind of saying like, hey, come meet up with us here, come meet up with us here and hike a while, whatever. And for whatever reason, like I was just busy and I couldn't do it. But I texted them and I said, hey, um, I, you know, I don't know what your uh, schedule is like or where you're going to be, but if you're anywhere near D.C., you know, in May, I, I think uh, it was, I think the end of May, you know, you guys should, should come through and go see Bonnie Vare with me because I kind of got into, they kind of were the ones that got me into listening to Bonnie Vare. And so we were texting together a lot about, uh, you know, how much we love the music and everything. And anyway... They wrote back, Candace wrote back, and she was like, um, that might actually work out perfect, you know? And, and so I was like, dude, oh my God, that'd be amazing. Like, whatever you got to do to pick up the pace, get to D.C. at the end of May, and let's freaking go see Bon Iver, you know, just, it's going to be amazing, right? And so, you know, they're like, yeah, I think we can probably do this, right? And then, uh, so, they, so anyway, me and Andy buy tickets, and Robbie and Candace buy tickets, and it's like, oh, it's actually going to work out. You know how you talk about like making plans with people and doing stuff, and oh man, wouldn't this be cool? And you know, you you pitch a lot of those plans out there, but they don't always work out. Uh, and this was one that's just like seemed like it was going to work out, right? And I was so freaking excited uh, because to me, there's really nothing better than going to see live music, and if you can do it with good friends, especially good friends that you maybe haven't seen in a while. I mean, that's the pinnacle, right? So anyway, they're walking to D.C. from Nashville. Me and Andy are flying in. And I think Andy was coming in like the, a day after me or something, which often happens with these types of events. But anyway, the first night of the uh, event, actually, let me back up. So a couple of weeks um, prior to me flying out there, you know, my client had booked me a hotel room and everything like at the uh, at the event location at, at whatever hotel it was. And uh, and I see that um, that Candace and Robbie had posted on Instagram and said, like, 
hey, we're coming through DC in this, you know, this week or whatever. Do we have any friends there that maybe we could crash with for the week while we're going to be in town? And I wrote back and I was like, hey, dumbass, y'all stay with me in my hotel room. Like, uh, I would freaking love that so much. Um, And she was like, for real? Like, we don't want to crash your whole thing. I was like, dude, they're paying for this amazing hotel room. It would, nothing would make me happier than for y'all to be like just crashing in the room. Uh, I'll make sure we get like the double king bedroom. And uh, I was like, I'm going to be gone most of the day, every day shooting anyway. So like y'all can do whatever you want. A lot of people would not want, you know, friends to stay in the same room with them. But I'm always like more people, more fun, you know, more memories. Like let's get it all going as much as possible. So she was like, all right, if you're sure, like we'll stay with you guys. And I'm like, yes, you know, like, and again, like I wasn't even paying for the room. Like, and it's a, it was a sweet hotel. So anyway, we fly in, uh, or I fly in, uh, you know, whatever day, and Robbie and Candace, I think, show up that same day, and uh, and I'll, it was just, we had one of the most amazing nights of our life that night, and I, I got to tell you about it as part of story number one of this episode, where we are in D.C., right? So I'm checked into the hotel. I had to go shoot something. Robbie and Candace show up. They text me. They're outside, and I walk out there, and it's like... Oh, like there's nothing more fun than just being in a cool city with friends. I mean, there's just nothing more fun than that. <laughs> and so like I go out there, give them some big hugs and like we go get something to eat. And then um, we like check into the hotel and then we go out for the night to just screw around. I had like the whole night off. And uh, basically what we did was we wanted to find just like kind of a dive bar and, and uh, you know, just go have some drinks and then maybe wander around and see some of the D.C. like, you know, tourist sites and, and whatnot. So we go to this bar. I forget what it's called, but um, it's like one of these just like broke down, you know, dive bar kind of places, which I love. And it had... Uh, at the bar, like, or right behind the bar, it had, like, all these classic video games, like cartridge games. Like, they had Sega Genesis and old school Nintendo and Super Nintendo and GameCube and, you know, just kind of all the old stuff. And so we're just sitting there looking at it, and we asked the bartender, like, yo, can we, like, play these games? And he's like, oh, yeah, what do you want to play? Like, whatever you want. And so we're like, I, f- I forget what game we played now that I think about it, but, you know, we get some games. I think we played some... uh some uh, Super Mario World on the uh, Super Nintendo, which is, you know, one of the greatest video games ever, you know. So the guy just, like, sets the console up in front of us, gives us a controller. We're sitting at the bar. There's TVs. We're just playing video games. We played a little Mario Kart and uh, and stuff like that. And it was just, like, so much fun just drinking beers and just hanging out and goofing. And, um, and at one point, um, the bartender, like, there wasn't really much going on that night. And at one point, the bartender's like, hey, I got to go take a leak. Will you guys watch the bar for me? And we're like, yeah, great. We're just playing video games. And then Candace walked around the bar, like, to the backside. And I've got this great picture of her just, like, tending the bar at this place. And, uh, and, and so, anyway, we hang out there. And we're like, all right, let's, let's, go, uh, let's go rent some, uh, some city bikes and just, like, cruise around and go see, like, you know, the monuments and stuff. So it's like, hell yeah, right? So we... Um, we, we get some city bikes and me and Robbie and Candace just like, just like cruise around DC. Like, you know, that mood, that vibe when you're like, you're, you know, you're a little tipsy. And, uh, we had some, uh, we actually, at some point we stopped and got like some little, like a little bottle, little bottles of uh, fireball whiskey from like, you know, some little, you know, gas station bodega type place. We're driving around sipping fireball or cruising on the bike, sipping fireball and, just like, you know, it's like the weather was nice and the, the streets were kind of mellow and there wasn't a lot of people out. And we're just kind of like slow cruising around and you ride up on, you know, the Lincoln Memorial and, you know, walk up the steps and take some pictures. And then you ride over to the uh, Washington Monument and the Jefferson Memorial. And we're just like straight up cruising around, just like riding the sidewalks and up onto the, you know, platforms and stuff. And just just laughing and being dumb idiots and you know it's like those types of things are the stuff that makes life amazing when you when you let yourself be open to some surprises you know and some you know you just have an unplanned evening and you kind of do a little bit of uh just exploring right and i remember at one point um we're literally just cruising around like like on the national mall and uh 
and there's, we kind of see this like opening, um, that we didn't know what it was. And, you know, I cruise down there and turn around and it's, it's dark out. Right. And I cruise past and I see these lights shining on this monument. I didn't know what it was. And I'd, I'd been to DC before, but I'd never seen this thing. And I turn the corner and there's this giant statue monument of Martin Luther King Jr. And it was just so cool. And I remember stopping and just staring at it. And like the, it, it's, it's sort of right in front of this lake area and it's kind of isolated. And the statue or the, the, the sculpture itself is like this giant block of marble. And Martin Luther King Jr. is, is like cut out of it, but it's unfinished. And on the plaque, it says like, you know, this is in intentionally left unfinished because Martin Luther King Jr. knew that America is unfinished and like the work that we have to do is unfinished. And I remember just standing there looking at that and like, God, this is so freaking cool, man. For, his, for all the problems that, you know, the United States has, um, yeah, it's pretty cool too, man. We've produced people like Martin Luther King Jr., you know, and, uh, it's just it's just an incredible thing and of course at the time uh you know Donald Trump had had been inaugurated you know he he was the president which was just bizarre so so weird um and yet we're standing here looking at this statue of Martin Luther King Jr and it was like yes like there's there's some good left in in this country man and it was just like inspiring and we have this great picture that Candace took of me and Robbie just kind of looking up at the at the statue there and so we just cruise around. It was just like one of those just greatest nights ever, like just laughing and just making memories and stuff. And that's just always going to be, you know, remembered in my mind as one of those just excellent, excellent nights. And every now and then, you know, Robbie and Candace and I will, will text each other and, uh, and just kind of remember that night. It's just so much fun. And so the rest of that week, they were just like crashed in my room. And it was so much fun for me because like they had had, um, you know, months of hiking the Appalachian Trail and they, they had like not slept in a real bed and not taken a good shower and, and everything. And so like when they get to this place, it was just a nice hotel. And so like they basically like in my memory, they were just like laid up, just like watching TV, you know, every day. And so like I would wake up early in the morning and I would have breaks in the day when I was shooting and I would go back to the room and Robbie and Candace would be sitting there watching Family Guy or, you know, some stand-up comedy or something. And I would, I would, you know, just plop on the bed and just kind of watch dumb shows with them. And it was just so much fun for me to, like, have my buddies there, you know. And, uh, and like, every single time I came in the room, I was like, have you guys gotten out of bed all day? And they're like, nope. <laughs> and uh, it, just, it just freaking made me happy, man. I just, I just love having my people around me. And so it was just so fun to just, like... It seemed like, like when I think back on that trip, I don't think, I don't remember shooting very much. I remember screwing around after work with, with Andy and Robbie and Candace and then being in the hotel room with them and just like laughing our asses off and just being so stupid. And, uh, you know, if you guys have learned anything about me over these um, 21 episodes, you know that I just love being stupid, man. <laughs> it's fun. Life is fun when you act like an idiot. So anyway, it was just incredible. Okay, so we're still in D.C., and I forget what night it was of that trip. I think it was like the second or third night, but Andy and I had to shoot this um, like evening event um, for, for as part of this gig, and it was the same night as the Bonnie Bear concert. And so we're shooting this event. It was kind of unclear, like, when we would be done. And, you know, the show's, like, going to be starting, you know, soon. And Robbie and Candace are kind of waiting. And I had told them, like, look, you guys leave when you need to leave to get to the show. And me and Andy might be late. But, like, y'all don't miss anything waiting on us, you know. And so it's, like, getting ready to be time to go. And so me and Andy kind of just, like, peace out on our event like we had we had really co covered it we'd shot everything that we needed to shoot and like we were we were done shooting but sometimes you got to hang around because the client just kind of wants you to be there but it was like I don't know what time maybe eight fifteen or something and the show was going to start at nine and it was like we got to get out of here like I'm not going to miss any of this and so I text Robbie and Candace I'm like we're done we're going to drop our shit in the room you know change clothes real quick and then we'll meet you out front right and so we meet out front we get an uber he hauls ass over to the Meriwether Post Pavilion and we park. And I remember like as we had parked 
and we're getting out, the crowd started to go wild because Bon Iver had just taken the stage. And so it was like, we hadn't really missed anything. And by the time we got in, we missed like the first half of the first song or maybe the majority of the first song, but he was still on the first song. We get in, you know, we get a couple of beers each and we kind of find a spot in the back in the, in the grass. And if you've never been to the Meriwether Post Pavilion, um, it's just a big like grass. Um, if you live in Little Rock, it's a lot like the River Market Amphitheater down there, but just way bigger. So it's kind of grass in the back and then like seating sort of in the front area. But it's outside and it's beautiful and it's like this amphitheater. And so we get our little spot in the grass and like I could go through the whole show with you, but like it was just one of the most beautiful, beautiful, just musical experiences I've ever had. I mean, it, it, again, it's just like you're truly like Andy, Robbie, and Candace were three of my absolute best friends in the world and still are. And it's just so fun to just be there with my people and like, you know, when you're at a show with, with your friends and like the, everybody knows all the words and you're all just kind of singing and, and hugging and putting your arms around each other and 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 you're outside and, you know, you're barefoot in the grass and it's just beautiful music. And the whole show is just absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And if, if you want to see any of it, I'm sure there's some of it on YouTube. Maybe the whole show, honestly, haven't ever looked. Um, but look up Bonnie Iver at the Meriwether Post Pavilion in, uh, in Maryland in 2017 in May. And uh, maybe you'll find some stuff on the YouTubes. But, um, but it, it was just amazing. And for me, the highlight of the show was absolutely I think it was the encore and um yeah so he had left the stage maybe he didn't do an encore but it was at the end of the show and he starts the song Beth Rest which is just like it's truly one of the most beautiful um songs from uh not not his his most recent album at the time but the one before that and he starts this song we're just like oh like that's the one that I really well I'd wanted to hear like the whole new album but outside of that if I could pick one song, it would have been Beth Rest. And he starts that song, and it was kind of cool because the whole crowd that was in the on the grass, kind of in the back, just starts to kind of move forward. And so everybody just kind of moved forward at the same time to like experience this final song. And you, you know, if you know the song, it's just it's just magical. And like the lights were just beautiful. And I remember standing there, and I've got my arms around my best friends, and we're just singing and like just sort of reveling in, in the beauty of life together. <laughs> and it's, it's just so, so, so good. And, and, you know, anyway, the show ends and it's just magical and you're walking out and everybody's happy and hugging each other. And, and I remember that we were trying to get an Uber back to the hotel, but as often happens in these types of situations, the Uber prices were like quadrupled, you know, because everybody's trying to leave this, this one location. And so, we decide like, let's walk like a mile away and try to get an Uber that's not right here. And what we ended up doing is just going to this gas station. We ended up going in there and just kind of getting a drink and a bag of chips. And we sit there and we're kind of just waiting for the Uber prices to drop. And, and also just like, you know, I believe in, in the value of a good debrief. And so we're like debriefing the, the Bonnie Bear show and our favorite parts and this and that. And it was just like a freaking, freaking magical week. And anyway, we get back to the hotel and Andy and I shoot the event. And the last thing I have to say about this week in DC was it was the last night that we were there together. And it was also Andy's 40th birthday. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that he would have preferred to probably be at home with his girlfriend and, and, and all that for his birthday. But I was like, hell, we're, we're here in D.C. We're going to have a good time, you know. And so and Andy and I always have a blast. But, you know, I felt like it needed to, to get ramped up a notch. And so anyway, we didn't really do anything. We did we did what we normally do. Um, but Robbie and Andy and I just uh, we, we found a place to sit outside and, <laughs> and drink beer and drink fireball and you know, smoke some hand-rolled cigs, and, and we go out to um, the dock right there, um, you know, next to the hotel. I forget what river it is or whatever, but we go out to this dock, and we're just sitting there and, you know, peeing in the water and just kind of being idiots and uh, and just sort of screaming dumb stuff into the night and laughing and shooting dumb photos and videos and and uh we just had a freaking blast and, and you know probably you know drank a little bit too much and 
and just like laughing and pushing each other and falling into the bushes. And me and Andy had sort of built up at this point a tradition of at least one night, if not all the nights on our trips like this, of uh, doing what we call bush diving, which is like you basically have had too much to drink and you're walking around and you just like jump into bushes and it ends up like probably like ruining the, the landscaping, but it is so fun. <laughs> um, just like falling into bushes, diving, like front flipping into bushes. And, uh, and we were kind of like initiating Robbie into this too. And so like we ended the night, me and Andy and Robbie just like walking back to the hotel and just like diving into bushes and just getting silly videos of each other, like pushing each other into bushes. And, and it was just so, so much fun, man. And, uh, anyway, after that night was over, we stay out way too late. Andy's flying home the next day and I have to stick around and shoot one final day of this event. And as often happens on my schedules for these events, the schedule, like my first event for the day would say like 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., you know, this thing, I've got to be there. And so a lot of times I would sort of show up for those at like 7 a.m., right? Because like I know I don't really need to shoot it for two whole hours. So I was just planning on, you know, I was like, I'll get an extra hour of sleep, right? And uh, what happened was I go to bed and I'm trying to sleep in. I keep snoozing my alarm and I'm just like dead to the world sleeping, right? And Robbie and Candace are like snoozing in the bed, you know, next to mine. And uh, my, and then I, I, my alarm goes off again and I finally get up and look at it. I don't remember what time it was, but I look at it and I have like all these missed calls and missed texts from my contact at the company that I was shooting for. And it was like, where are you? Where are you? Oh my God, this is totally unprofessional. I cannot believe this, you know. This is this is terrible, you know. It, it was horrible, and I wake up and I'm like, "Oh shit, shit," you know. And I'm like, I'm just like freaking out, and uh, and I'm like, "Damn it," you know. And I'm I'm just getting dressed really fast. I don't even have time to like, you know, splash some water on my face, you know. I remember like I just like stuck some toothpaste in my mouth, and I'm like swishing it around as I'm you know getting ready, and and I'm just like, "Damn it," you know. I'm gonna lose this job, and and it's my first time to shoot for them, and and so I'm rushing out the door. And as I'm going down the elevator, I'm texting, you know, my contact back. Um, and I'm like, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm on the way. I'll be there. You know, I don't think I've missed anything super important, but I'm really sorry, that kind of thing. And uh, and I'm, I'm trying to come up with, like, how do I get out of this without looking like just a piece of shit for just sleeping in on, like, an important day? So as I'm going down to to the staff office where I'm supposed to grab my stuff and then get to work... I'm texting the the client and I'm saying, hey, I'm, you know, here's what happened. Um, last night was Andy's 40th birthday and he didn't want me to tell anybody because he didn't want anyone to make a big deal about it. But we were out celebrating and I just overslept and, uh, you know, like this is a nightmare, right? Like I don't know what to do. Um, I'm really sorry, but like I'm 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 coming back, right? And so she's like, oh, my God, okay. Like, I get it, 40-year birthday, it's a big deal, right? Um, just let's get, let's get to work, right? And so by the time I get into the staff office, I had kind of come up with a plan. And I was like, here's my way out of this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell um, Christy, my contact at the company, like, because she had texted Andy as well, and Andy was on a plane, so he didn't get the text. Because she had texted Andy and said, like, where's Jacob? I haven't heard from him. Oh, my God this is terrible, you know, but this is before I had, I had, you know, checked in with her that morning. And so we get down there and she had told me that Andy, you know, hadn't responded either. And so I was like, all right, it's Andy's 40th birthday or yesterday was, so let's screw with them a little bit. And this is my plan to get out of it. Like I'm going to get Christy back on my side by getting Andy with this little prank. Right. <laughs> and so what I did was I said, listen, um, you should text Andy again and say, you know, I still haven't heard from Jacob what's going on and let's like scare Andy and make him think that 
that Jacob's dead, right? <laughs> or like, you know, in prison or something. So Andy finally texts back when he gets off the plane and he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, have you still not heard from him? And she's like, no, um, I need your help. Can you come back? And I was like, let's make Andy just like feel like shit about this. <laughs> and then Andy's texting me and he's like, dude, where are you? Christy's going crazy. She's, she's losing it. She's pissed. I just landed in Dallas or wherever he was going to like holler at me and I don't respond, you know, and Christy gets back to Andy again and she's all freaking him out. And then, uh, you know, we screw with him for a while. And then finally, you know, Christy and I text Andy a picture of the two of us, like, you know, flipping him off or something, you know, (laughs) and he was like, Oh my God, you know, like, don't do that to me. That freaking scared me, man. I thought Jacob was, was dead or something. Uh, but it was like, like, I felt like such a genius for like, instead of getting in trouble with my client, I got her on my team to like prank Andy together. And like, it was, it was kind of a genius move. If I can pat myself on the back for that. Um, I, w- I was pretty proud of that move. So anyway, I shoot the rest of the event in DC and, it, and it's fantastic and, and go home. But that was just such an amazing week of clowning around with Robbie and Candace, hanging with Andy, going to see the show, just, just having an amazing time. All right. That's story number one. Story number two is the story of the solar eclipse that we got to see firsthand in Missouri, and it was truly like just a mind-bending experience. So here's what happened. We know that the solar eclipse is coming up. I forget when we you know, learned that it was coming up. It is earlier in the year, and this is in uh, August now, August of 2017. We, we see that there's a solar eclipse coming, and I had heard a podcast at some point about the experience of seeing a solar eclipse and like these solar eclipse chasers that will go all around the world to to catch a solar eclipse. And I remember seeing that and hearing about it and like, what is the big deal? Like, it can't be that amazing. But you hear these clips of people seeing solar eclipse and I, I had seen like videos of it and people just like absolutely lose their minds when it happens. And I'm like, that, I, I don't understand it, but I need to see this. So we know that the eclipse is coming and and i you know looked on the map and i could see that it was coming um the the you know when there's a solar eclipse there's an area of totality like a path of totality where the sun is totally eclipsed by the moon and then there's like the the much bigger area of like a partial eclipse and i wanted to see the totality like that's where it's supposed to be amazing right and on the map it showed that the path of totality was going to go directly across from where Micaiah's parents live in, uh, in in sort of south central central Missouri, and so I was like, "Sweet, we can just go stay at their house, and we'll get to see it, right?" And so we end up driving up there in August with um, a, a couple of friends, um, John and Shannon, and their son Trip, and our kids, and and my daughter Emma had brought another friend with her that came to, and we were going to go up and stay, you know, at the house in Missouri. And Makai's parents were in Guatemala at the time. And so, so the house was empty and we, we go up there and stay. And it, it was just an amazing experience because we're sitting outside, you know, on the day of the eclipse and, you know, it's, it's, it's all the timelines are all sort of nailed down exactly. Like, you know, when it's going to happen. And uh, so we're sitting outside and we're kind of waiting for it. And you can see that, you know, the, the path of partiality, like the partial eclipse is kind of beginning. And at the same time, there was some clouds like rolling in and we were sitting there looking at the clouds and we were thinking, oh my gosh, like we, we could miss this. Like, what are we going to do? And so I remember it was like, you know, only two or three, maybe five minutes from the moment it was going to be a full eclipse. And, and from the way the clouds looked, we were going to miss it. So we get in the car real quick and, and we kind of just get on these dirt roads. And, and where they live was this, was this little town called Allville, Missouri, which isn't even really a town. It was like 84 people population. And it's just kind of back roads, sort of farmland, Missouri. And so there's all these kind of dirt roads and cornfields. And we're kind of looking at the sky and we start driving and we're driving fast because we need to get to a spot that's going to be a cool place to watch the eclipse. So we find this dirt road that's just kind of in between these two cornfields and we drive down this dirt road and we're looking at the sky and we're thinking, all right, this is, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And sure enough, like some other people kind of showed up at the same time as us and, and they had kind of found this area too. And so we're out there, we've got our like, 
you know, eclipse glasses on and we're looking at the sky and it's the, the moon is starting to cross in front of the sun and the light starts to change like in a really interesting way. And it was just truly like otherworldly. And like as a photographer, I'm really used to like looking at light and sort of the quality of light and the tone and the, you know, the, the sort of softness or the depth of the light. And so it, it just was really wild to see this this light start to change. It was just unlike anything I'd ever seen before, the quality of the light. There's really no way to explain it. But, you know, in a sense, like, it sort of looked like I imagine it might look, you know, on like Mars, you know, just like the sun is just different here. And so, you know, for these short moments, we get to see little glimpses of the sun being different on earth, which doesn't happen often, right? So the sun's starting to come, or the moon's starting to come over the sun, and we've got our crew outside, and we've got this great picture of us all kind of looking up at the sky. And Micaiah's sister, Megan, came down to meet us, and her and her other sister, Misha, and Matt, and their kids. And they. so we got this little crew there, we've got these great pictures, and the, the moon's moving over the sun. And, uh, you know, it's starting to get close and you're looking at it with the um, eclipse glasses and you can see that it's starting to get, you know, you can't look at it when it's not a total eclipse. When it becomes total, you can take your glasses off, right? So, um, you know, we're looking at it, we're looking at it and things, it's just crazy. Everybody's kind of freaking out and like the spirits are getting, you know, wild and different. And, and then all of a sudden, like the, the moon completely covers the sun, and you take your glasses off and everybody just loses their minds. It's just, oh my God, like you're just freaking out. Everybody was screaming. And and like I got it, like I understood the craziness about it. Like we had seen, you know, videos and, and, and I'd heard on the podcast just people just like screaming and losing their minds. And like we absolutely became those people for, I think the totality was going to be like two minutes and three seconds or something like that. And which is actually like a, a pretty decent amount of time, you know, to, to be able to just kind of stand there and marvel at it. And what it looks like is, you know, you look up at the sun and instead of a sun, there's just a black dot in the sky that has this halo of fire around it. And it just looks so insane. And Micaiah pointed out while we were all just kind of staring at the sun, she said, look at the horizon. And you look up, you look out across the cornfields and all around you, 360 degrees around you, it looked like a sunset. Like the, the sky had just this beautiful sunset kind of hues and purples and pinks and, and oranges to it all the way around you. I mean, it was truly bizarre to see a sunset in 360 degrees, right? And it was just unbelievable. And I remember like after that, we were talking about like, you know, well, two interesting things we were talking about. One was like, you know, we, we just kind of thought about like in ancient times, like I bet when people like, like primitive cultures, when this would happen, of course, without warning, they didn't know like this is when they would like sacrifice a human to like the sun god to like make the sun come back right like i don't i don't know if that's true but i'm sure it is like like the sun blacks out and they're like oh my god we have to sacrifice someone and then like they kill somebody and then the sun comes back and they're like oh it worked like the sun is our god right <laughs> like and that would be like a completely reasonable thing to think at that at that time right um and then the other interesting thing i thought about was there's a verse in the bible that talks about when when jesus died on the cross that the sky went black uh, or the sun went out or something i forget the exact terminology that's used but I was like, I'd heard somebody say in the past, like during a sermon, like it is many believe that a solar eclipse happened um, when Jesus died. And I was like, well, yeah, well, you know, if God is all powerful, why wouldn't he send a sign like that? Like, so we were just like reveling in that. Like, so just imagine for a second, like Jesus dying on the cross and you're standing there watching it. And, uh, and then all of a sudden there's like a total eclipse, you know, over Jerusalem and you look at, you know, imagine everybody looking at Jesus and they look up at the sky and, and that happens and they're like, oh, we've made a huge mistake. <laughs> you know, like I, I can just, it, it, that, that would just be like the most obvious reaction. Like this guy who claims to be God is killed on a cross and then the sun blacks out. Everybody must have just been like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, which is just interesting, man. Just just dwell on that for a second. Um, 
but uh, so anyway, that's story two of this this year, right? The the eclipse that we saw in Missouri, unbelievable, unbelievable. If you ever have a chance to see a total solar eclipse, do anything that you can do to go and see it because it is truly like just mind bending, absolutely mind bending. And uh, oh, one more thing about that. I remember I was listening to Pink Floyd a lot at the time. I've always listened to Pink Floyd, but they had the song called Eclipse. And, and I looked at, I was listening to Eclipse, you know, leading up to this trip. And, uh, and, and it, it just so happened that the song Eclipse was exactly the same amount of time as the total solar eclipse that was going to happen where we were going to be. It's different in different areas. But it was like two minutes and three seconds, and that was the exact same amount of time as the song. Whatever the song is, that's how long it was. And I just remember thinking, like, geez, Pink Floyd is like just this legendary band that's famous for like orchestrating like bizarre, impossible things. And I was like, well, here's another one. (laughs) And it's an amazing song. Um, So, anyway, that's the eclipse story. Okay, story number three. In September, uh, Labor Day weekend of 2017, Earlier that year, my brother and some friends had decided to go see fish at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Colorado. And they, they, were, they invited me, and they're like, let's all go see Dick's. And I'm like, hell yeah, it's my birthday weekend, September 2nd. I'm 100% in. Let's go see fish at Dick's. And so Labor Day weekend comes up, and uh, me and my brother Scram and our buddy Taylor pile into my truck, and we drive out to Colorado uh, to go see fish at Dick's. And if you don't know anything about fish at Dick's, it's like this whole giant event. It's it's normally like the conclusion of the summer tour for fish, and it's just a big deal. And fish so, sort of like notably loves to play there. And uh, it's just like a big old deal. And people camp, and it's a three-day show. And, you know, it's just like a wild and crazy time. And so we show up at Fish at Dick's, and we get our campsite all set up, and I had only had I only bought one ticket to the show, which the show that was going to be on my birthday, the second. Um, my little brother did the same thing. He and I only had the one ticket to that night um, because money was tight and, and all of that. And some of the guys had had more tickets, and some some extra people came and met us um, over there, but. We just camped out and just like, God, it was so, it was kind of like going to Bonnaroo again, except it's not a festival, it's just one band. And like Fish at Dick's is truly like, is, it's about the same as a music festival, just in that like, it's a whole camp out and there's vendors and, and all kinds of just fun stuff going on. And uh, uh, so it, it's just an amazing time and people are walking by and like selling you stuff and I remember this one guy was walking by like selling weed, like sneakily selling weed out of his backpack. And he's kind of sneaky about it and everything. He's like, yo, you guys need some weed. And we're like, dude, it's legal here, man. Like, why are you, why are you like bootleg selling weed? And he was like, I know, man, I'm just trying to make a living. And I was like, dude, you need to find a new racket, man. Uh, Why would we buy weed from you when it's like available at every store uh, on every corner here in Colorado? And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) So that was just like so dumb. But anyway, um, on the first night of the show, um, all the guys went in except for me and my little brother, Scram. And the fun part about that was we kind of walked around in the lot before the show and, uh, you know, just like eating, you know, Philly cheese steaks and whatever the vendors are selling that night, drinking, you know, fat tire and, you know, just wandering around looking at all the merch and everything. And then the show starts and me and my brother had decided, um, uh, well, since we're not going into the show, let's just kind of go and stand kind of near the arena where we can hear the show and there's some cool grass over there, and we'll toss the frisbee while we listen to fish in the grass. And uh, you know, so we we took a, we took some beers over there, and you know, when the show starts, everybody from the parking lot kind of goes into the show. So it's pretty mellow in the parking lot and the camping area. And uh, it was just so cool. Me and me and Scram are just out in the field, and fish is playing, and and we're just tossing the disc and just kind of doing the just just doing that magical moment of just having a good time you know, uh, which like, I don't know, man, life is so busy and so complicated, especially as you get a little bit older and you become like a full, full fledged adult. Um, you just have fewer and fewer of these times. And it's these types of times when I, I kind of just get to step back and say like, God, I'm so lucky that I get to be able to do stuff like this. Like so many people are like locked up with work and worry and all this stuff. And, 
And I'm out here just tossing the disc with my brother, drinking a Corona, having a good time with my band playing. And it's just, it's just one of those amazing nights. And so thinking back to that, I just remember like Fish is playing Mike's song and I'm tossing the disc with Scram and we're doing some excellent tosses and some good jumps and some running catches. And it's just so fun, just in the cool grass in Colorado. And, and it's just a, an amazing, amazing time, right? And then the next night, or maybe it was the two nights from then, but whatever night was, um, was September 2nd is the night that we went in. And we go in and we have an amazing show and Fish is just absolutely kills it. And some of the guys didn't have floor t- tickets. They had like stands tickets. And we, we kind of worked some magic and sort of traded wristbands a little bit, you know, in a sneaky way and got everybody down to the floor. And, you know, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't any like giant highlights from the show to speak of outside of like it just being unbelievable. Like the whole second set was crazy good. I mean, yeah, there was highlights. The highlights for me, if you really want to go back and find them, is when they played Reba and they played um, Slave to the Traffic Light. Uh, and they played Lizards. Oh, man, incredible, incredible show. And me and my buddy Alex, you know, we're just absolutely losing our minds. He, he, he and Taylor both are huge Fish fans. And so, like, we're just kind of high-fiving and hugging at every single, you know, song and solo and turn. And, and uh, like, one of the classic Fish things happens during the show that I, I'll never forget. But, you know, we're jamming, and uh, they, had, they, they were in the middle of this jam, and nobody could remember, like, what was going on. But it was this insane jam that was going on for 20-something minutes. And somebody turns around, and they go, they ask, like, the classic Fish question, that like, if you know fish, you'll get it. But they turn around and they go, is this still Reba? <laughs> you know, which is like, how are they still playing this song? that it was like that amazing. And we're all like, yeah, man, you know, and high five and stuff. And uh, it's just, just an amazing, you know, time to just step outside of the real world and go and do something incredible, right? And so Fish at Dick's was absolutely insane. That's the third story of this episode. Story number four. I'm going to make this one quick because I'm already pushing it for time here and I don't want to make this too long. But later that same month in September, I'm still shooting photos for the Clinton School of Public Service. Um, And, you know, it's an amazing job that I've gotten to meet really, really cool, you know, people, world leaders, former presidents, you know, I mean, it's movie stars, celebrities, musicians, an amazing, amazing job. Um, and I had gotten to meet and talk to Bill Clinton many times and Hillary Clinton. And it was just just really cool. And, and I, I do a little bit of that name dropping to tell you about this time when I got to meet this group of people that was um, and is like still like the coolest group of people I've ever met. And that was the Little Rock Nine. Um, they came in September to do a press conference about something I don't exactly remember what it was, but um, the Little Rock Nine show up at the Clinton School, and really it was just eight because um, uh, Jefferson Thomas had passed away in 2010, and so it was the eight surviving little uh, members of the Little Rock Nine, and of course the Little Rock Nine is the nine students who um, integrated, the nine black students that integrated uh, Little Rock Central High School in the 50s, 1957. So it was the um, 60 year anniversary. Man, what an incredible story. I mean, this is truly like, sadly, um, you know, one of the things that Little Rock is notable for in history was that Little Rock was was where um, the high schools were integrated um, because prior to that, high schools were segregated. And these nine students um, were, were chosen and accepted, um, you know, the, the challenge and the call to go to this school, which is an incredible, crazy thing to, to have done. And, you know, I had heard all the stories and, and read some books about it. And, like, they just went through hell, like, just such terrible, terrible racism. Um, and they had the, the, uh, the, the National Guard was called in to escort the students into school. And there's, like, this whole period of time when it was just kind of like the all of the country was watching Little Rock to see like what was going to happen as this school gets integrated. And so the Little Rock Nine come to come to the Clinton School to speak and I had met a couple of them before like two of them but I had never met, you know, all of them with the exception of, of the one that had passed away. 
And I shoot this pet press conference with them and they were just, people were asking questions about, you know, their experience and, you know, it, it's just unbelievable just to hear these people speak. And then after the press conference, um, there was a event in the Clinton library next door that was um, like the, the opening of this exhibit about Nelson Mandela. But the president Clinton was there and, um, the Little Rock Nine were there too. And so they do this event over there and then they have a reception afterwards in the little restaurant at the bottom of the Clinton library there. And everybody goes down to the reception. Well, not everybody. The the, the VIPs kind of go down the reception. And, uh, and so the Little Rock Nine and their families are all kind of just hanging around. And I'm shooting the event and, and I'm just kind of chatting with them, you know. And, and it was just... Uh, it's just truly like a humbling thing. Uh, number one, to just be in that room and be kind of lucky enough to, to be around them and, and spend some time kind of with them and hearing some of their stories. And number two, just to kind of like have a job that, that allows me to do these types of things, you know, and meet these kinds of people. And, and, and not only just meet notable people, but, you know, chat with them and, and kind of get to know them a little bit. And I talked to several of them and at one point during the night, I was talking with uh, Minnie Jean Brown Tricky, uh, and we were just casually chatting about something, and she was just a sweet lady, and I said, hey, would you mind if I get a picture with you? And she said, with me? And I said, yes, like, that would be amazing. Like, you're so inspiring, and just, um, you guys' story is so crazy, and I was like, I'm, I'm just like, it's just great to meet you, you know, and, and there was part of me that wanted to say, like, I'm so sorry that you guys went through this stuff, but like, she's heard that her whole life, you know, um, so there's nothing you can really say that's going to be significant. Um, and so I got a picture with her and like, I never ask people for photos, but I, I wanted to get a picture with Miss Minnie Jean, you know, she's just a cool lady and she's so just gracious. And it was just an amazing thing to just kind of feel like I was a part of, um, this this group of people that had done like incredibly notable things in their lives and and there was governors in there and there was you know millionaires in there and and Bill Clinton's in there and and people that worked in the White House and you know generals in there and stuff and here I am just like wandering around and I'm just kind of looking around like god this is so cool that that I get to do this type of stuff in my life you know um and at one point towards the end of the night, um, somebody comes up to me and says like, um, hey, Jacob, uh, the president would like to get a photo with the Little Rock Nine. And so I'm like, great, you know, tell me where to be, right? So I go over there and, uh, and Bill Clinton's there and he's been in the room all night and, you know, people have heard about him. Like he talks to everybody, he's friends with everybody. And, uh, but I had shot a lot of photos with Bill Clinton in them, you know, in, in the time that I had shot at the Clinton School. And for every single one of those photos, they get the group together and then they bring the president over to the group, right? Every single one. A lot of times Bill Clinton's pretty hard to wrangle. Like you can't get him out of a conversation. And so people end up waiting a long time to have a photo with him. But this time I go over there to where the photo's going to happen and Bill Clinton's standing there by himself. And, and, I, and he looks at me and he said, uh, are we going to do a photo with the Little Rock Nine? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, okay, great. And he's waiting for them. And that was just like, that was just something that I had never seen before. He was waiting patiently for them. And uh, that, that just doesn't happen. No, Bill Clinton doesn't wait on anybody. They wait on him. But he waited on the Little Rock Nine. And they're old, you know, and they're shuffling over. And we've got most of them kind of gathered. And they're still chatting with him. And he keeps asking me, like, uh, where's, uh, where's uh, the last, I forget who it was. There was one person that was kind of straggling. And, and she was in a wheelchair. They wheel her over. And man, he was, I've never seen him so proud to be pictured with a group of people um, like that. And it was just a heavy, it was just a really cool, like impactful moment. And, uh, and I just don't think I'll ever meet anybody that had ever, that had been through something like that. Um, and for that reason, like the Little Rock Nine are without a doubt, the coolest people I've ever met in my life. No one will ever top them. What an amazing thing. So that was just a cool story that I had to share. That's story number four from 2017. And for the last story, story number five from 2017, I got to tell you about this hog hunting trip I went on in Texas in November. So at some point in late October, my buddy John uh, calls me or texts me and a group of guys and says, hey, I won a hog hunting trip in Texas for the end of November. Do you guys want to go with me? It's for five people, five person hog hunting trip. 
in Texas at this ranch. You guys want to go? So we're like, hell yeah, absolutely want to go. Or maybe it was four people, me, John, Barry, and Ryan went. And uh, so we, we drive out to Texas. I forget exactly where, but we drive out to Texas. We make it to this ranch. And the whole idea is you just, you know, it's a hog hunting trip. You, you, there was like two or three. Yeah, there was going to be, it was a two-night trip. And you were going to hunt um, the evening of the first night, the morning of the second day, the evening of the second day, and the morning of the third day, right? And stay in their little cabin ranch thing or whatever. And so we go out there and uh, we kind of check in. It's kind of like, um, it's, it's not a nice place. It's not the nastiest place ever, but it was pretty nasty. Um, we, we get checked in. It's, it's rustic and, you know, it's kind of junky and, and uh, you know, whatever, man. It is what it is. It's a free trip. We were excited about it. And, you know, most of all, we were just excited to hang out and, and, and clown around a little bit. But we get there, we get checked in, we're sitting around drinking beer outside of our little cabin. And it wasn't really a cabin, it was kind of a, almost like a motel style, like block of rooms, um, you know, with the doors that face out to the parking area, which was just like a gravel lot. And we're hanging out, and we're kind of exploring. And, and it was like, um, we got there just before dinner. Um, and so we're hanging around. And we walk around and we're, we're looking around and we find the area where they're doing the like, basically the butchering of the hogs, you know, people would bring in hogs and these, these guys would, would, would chop them up and, and, uh, you know, clean them and break them down and everything and throw them in the coolers. And I remember seeing that I walk around and honestly, like, okay, this is a part of this story. This is pretty gnarly. So, uh, <laughs> listen with caution, but, um, basically we turn this corner and there's just like this pile of dead hogs and it was just gnarly, man. There's flies and it's hot. And, uh, these guys are just you know, cleaning the hogs and, and, you know, quartering them and everything. And I mean, it's bloody and they've got these aprons on and, and they're just, if you've never seen somebody butcher a hog, it's, it's a sight to behold. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty intense. These guys are butchering them. We kind of look for a second. We're like, Oh God. Okay. I got to get away from this. And our first red flag was we go into dinner. Uh, it's kind of a buffet style dinner. And, uh, of course, what's on the menu but pork, right? So there's like this huge buffet of just different types of pork. And we were just like, oh, that's gnarly, you know. We, we all end up like eating salad. It's like we had just seen the, the like, you know, cleaning area and stuff. And while we're sitting there eating, the guys that were doing the butchering come in to eat. And they had taken off their aprons and they had washed their hands, but they still had like just nasty shit on their forearms, like in their arm hair and there's like blood and you know their their apron doesn't cover their whole body so they're they're kind of just still bloody and nasty and the the dining room is kind of packed tight so they're like kind of sliding in between chairs and like touching people and they they just nasty and they smell bad and it's like oh god you know <laughs> um but anyway we finish dinner and we go out for our evening hunt and uh and so we split up for the evening hunt and uh you know, the way it worked was you put two people in each blind and you sit there and it's like these elevated blinds and you sit there with your guns and they're going to come out and bait the, uh, bait the blind with like corn or whatever they were going to, you know, bait the blind with. And the, the, the ranch is an enclosed pen. So like all of the animals that are there are there, they're not going anywhere. Right. And so me and Ryan get in this, um, blind together and we're sitting there and it's dark. And, you know, when you're hunting, you, you generally want to sit there and be quiet because we're, you know, we come there to, to kill a hog, right? Like, that's the idea. And they had all these other, like, exotic animals on the ranch, too. But um, you had to pay big money to, to kill one of those. And so we're sitting there. And after we're there for about 20 minutes, this, um, you know, side-by-side, -side, you know, ATV pulls up and they, they dump some corn in the blind and then they drive off. And sure enough, before they were even out of sight, you just hear all these animals just like trotting up, just, you know, they're trotting up and there's hogs and there's like, you know, we're sitting there like, oh damn, there's a lot of hogs, you know, like, and it was just like 20 yards in front of us. Like we didn't even really want to take a shot because it was just like pointlessly easy. And, uh, and then like, sure enough, like elk come up and like, you know, there was an albino stag that, that walked up and, and like, you know, we kept, we were waiting for like camels and giraffes and shit to just walk out of the woods. And we're sitting there just like, what the hell is this? And like, this, this is so silly how easy this is. 
and but we're still whispering. And at one point, I said, "Man, I bet you they wouldn't even run off if we made noise." And and we're, me and Ryan are kind of laughing about it. And I ended up saying, "Hey, hog!" And like they don't move a muscle. <laughs> we're just laughing, and we so we end up just sitting there, just like drink a few beers in the blind, and then and then walk back to the to the ranch or whatever. And so um, so that was kind of night one. So we go back to the little cabin or whatever that we were staying in. And, uh, you know, we, we end up sitting outside and drinking beer and stuff and, and clowning around on this little picnic table that was right outside of our, of our room. And I was just tired and, uh, and everything. So I just went to bed early and I said, all right, guys, I'm, I'm crashing, you know? So I crash early and I'm laying in my bunk and, and I'm in my sleeping bag and, uh, I'm kind of itchy, right? I'm kind of feeling itchy and I'm kind of, you know, you're kind of half asleep and, you get a little itch and you kind of scratch the itch, right? And then I'm laying there and I'm just trying to fall asleep and I'm just still feeling itchy and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly asleep. I'm not scratching the itch. I'm just like, I'm just itchy. I'm just going to go to bed. And I, and I kind of focused my mind on this one itch that was kind of on my side and then the itch moves, you know? And I was like, oh, shit, this is nasty. I get up, I get out of my bed. At this point, all the other guys had come to bed, too. You know, this was kind of a couple hours after I had gone to bed. They come to bed, too. And I get up, and I'm, like, looking around, and I I shine my flashlight on my pillow. And all around my pillow was these little red dots where I had rolled over and, like, killed a bug with my head. And I was like, oh, God. And Literally, I'm in my underwear, I walk out of the uh, out of the cabin. I'm sitting on the picnic table, just in the dark, in the sky, and in my underwear. And I'm looking at my phone because I had taken a picture of one of these little bugs that was on my pillow. And I got a really close picture. And I go, I'm going to go outside and figure out what the hell this bug is. Right? I do a little bit of research, and I realize pretty quickly that it's bed bugs. Uh, and I confirmed it. I looked at a bunch of different things. This is bed bugs, right? And so uh, I'm like, oh, God, sick. Like, I've heard, heard about the bed bug infestation. I go back in the room where the guys are sleeping, and I wake them all up, and I say, guys, wake up. There's bed bugs. I'm moving to a new room. I suggest you all do the same. And all three of the guys are just like, ah, screw you, man, bullshit. <laughs> so they go back to bed. So I get up, and uh, I get my sleeping bag out, and um, I, I guess we had an extra sleeping bag for some reason uh, because – I ended up using it, uh, but I found another room that was open, and I take a tarp out of the truck, and I take the mattress, and I wrap it up like a Christmas present with this tarp, and I put my sleeping bag on that, and it's all crinkly and everything, but I'm like, okay, this is as good as it's going to get in terms of my safety from the bed bugs. I'm in a new sleeping bag, got the tarp wrapped around the mattress, and hopefully I'm, I'm good, right? And I, I slept okay the rest of that night, right? Um, so the next morning we get up and uh, we go and find our, uh, like whoever was running the, the hog ranch. And uh, I said, hey man, uh, I got some bad news for you. I said, you got bed bugs. And he goes, bullshit. And I was like, nope. And I showed him the picture on my phone of the bed bug. And he goes, son of a bitch. I was like, yeah, man, uh, they're everywhere in there. Um, and, and I gave him, I showed him all the evidence and he's like, damn. I was like, so... We're going hunting, but uh, you might want to take care of that. <laughs> and um, so anyway, we go hunting. Uh, where we in the morning hunt was just kind of a walk around hunt, um, and uh, you know just kind of stalk and, and kill. And we had a great hunt. We had a great time. I ended up killing two hogs. It was really really fun. I got one shot. Was one of the greatest shots I've ever had in my life. I caught this hog running at probably uh, I don't know. 40, 50 yards, which isn't far, but he was at a full sprint. And I tagged that fool running and he just like dropped and skidded to a stop in the dirt. And, and that was really fun. So we went for the hunt and all that. And then we came back at the end of the hunt and, uh, there was this massive bonfire happening in the, uh, in like the courtyard of this ranch area. And we kind of get up closer and we realize it's all of our bedding, like not bedding, but all of our stuff from our room, like our mattresses, um, the, like the, everything from our room was on fire. Um, they had taken all of our personal stuff and put it out on the little, on the little, um, sort of patio and everything else in the room was burning. Like, uh, the, the lamp, the bedside tables, the mattresses, the pillows, the blankets, which we weren't using, 
Um, they, they burned the freaking plastic trash can from this room <laughs> and we walk up and we were like, there's the guy was like, there ain't no, going to be no bed bugs in there now. And I was like, dude, this is nuts, man. And of course, like the one thing they didn't burn was the one thing where the bed bugs were actually living, which was the, um, like the wooden bunk structure itself. Like they should have taken and burned that thing. And anyway, after that, you know, we had a second night there, but we were like, man, we're not staying here again. Um, and uh, so the guy was like, all right, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Um, since the hunt's already free, I'm going to give you this, ho- you know, what the hunt was free, but killing the hogs and taking the meat home, you still had to pay for that. And he was like, I'm going to give you your hogs for free. Um, y'all y'all uh, have a good one. Please give us a good review and all that shit. And he was like, you know, sorry, it was a bad time. And uh, so we're like, goodness, we got to get out of here. So we, we took off. We ended up getting a hotel in Dallas. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a funny experience. Um, and we're all like researching, like, how do you get rid of bed bugs, you know? And, and, uh, so like some of the guys just like burned all of their stuff. Most of us just froze everything because apparently that's how you do it. You freeze it for like three days and that kills whatever's in there. And nobody else had any more bed bug like breakouts, you know, after we got home. But, but it was, it ended up just being a fun, like crazy story. And, the final part of the story that I got to tell you about is um, on the way home, we're riding in the truck on the way home, my buddy Barry's truck, and we're just talking, we're just bullshitting about life or whatever, and we got to the subject of smoking, um, which, uh, you know, I had, uh, I mean, they were, all, they were all piling on to me about smoking is what was going on, because I had been um, a consistent, steady tobacco user um, for, honestly, 20 years 20 years, um, or more really. I mean, um, I, I started using tobacco in high school and, uh, you know, we started with, um, you know, cigars, Swisher sweets and, and black and miles and backwoods and, and, you know, use that through high school. Not every day, you not, not super regularly, but, you know, on the weekends we'd go camping a lot and, and, you know, backwoods is what we were doing. And then in, uh, in college, you know, I started smoking cigarettes and, uh, and, and dipping and even dipping a little bit in high school, dipping Copenhagen and Skoll and then a lot more of that in college, um, you know, smoking cigarettes and dipping Copenhagen, tons in college, all the time, all the time and switching it up. But no matter what, I was using some tobacco product of some sort, whether it was cigarettes, cigars, dip, chew, whatever it was. And I had done that consistently for 20 years. And, and in the past, you know, um, at that point in in the most recent, like, you know, five, six years, I had been, you know, consistently just kind of, uh, rolling cigarettes, hand rolled cigarettes, um, with the drum tobacco was, was my favorite, uh, brand. Um, sometimes American spirit, you know, sometimes top when you couldn't find any drum, uh, some Bali shag if you were lucky. (laughs) Um, but I was, I was freaking excellent at, at rolling up the smokes and, that was just what I did, man. It was, I, I did it all the time, you know, not, not, not during the day, to be honest, but, um, you know, in the evenings, if I'm hanging out with friends, I'm, I'm rolling smokes, you know, that was just kind of what I did. And so they were giving me a hard time about smoking in the truck on the way back. And, um, you know, and, and I think that was just it, man. They, they, uh, they talked me out of it. They talked me out of it and they were all just saying like, man, you got to quit. And, and I knew I needed to quit. And, and I, had had tried a couple times, not not really hard and not a really strong effort of trying, but um, but I tried, you know, and and I would sort of quit for a month, knowing that like I'm going to take it back up again. Um, but for some reason, like in November of twenty twenty seventeen, I was just like, this is it, man. I'm I'm done with this. I'm done with it. Done with it. Done with it. And after that trip, I, I gave it up for good, and I and I really never went back. Um, and and. Sadly, it took me a little while to drop nicotine altogether because when I gave up the smokes, I decided I'm going to start, I'm going to get a vape. I'm going to get a jewel. Um, and that's going to be the thing that helps me to quit smoking. I just kind of decided like that was the avenue I was going to use. And at that time, we didn't really realize that vaping was probably, I mean, most people realize it was probably bad for you, but we didn't have the evidence that we do now that it, it, it causes lots of other problems. So I picked up the jewel, but I was done smoking, man. After 20 years, I was completely done with smoking and, uh, and it felt really good. It felt really, really good to be done with that. I felt better. I felt healthier. And I told my buddy, uh, Matt, in, in 20 years, I've never been able to smell what a person who smokes smells like. 
and it took me quitting to realize that smokers smell like shit, you know, sorry. That's just kind of the way it is. And, and I, I was blind to it, man. I had my, my nose was screwed up from being around it for so long. And when I got away from it, I could tell that, um, it was just, a, it's just a gross habit. It's bad for you. Um, and, uh, if you're thinking about quitting, just do it. Goodness gracious. It's terrible. So, okay. That closes out story number five of 2017 and this episode. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to talk about the year 2018 and folks, uh, this is where my troubles begin. Um, things start to crack and crumble and unravel just all around me and us. Uh, 2018 was rough. And with the exception of one gigantic highlight, which was a five week cross country camping trip that brought a lot of peace and calm in the midst of a difficult year. Guys, subscribe to this podcast and you'll get every new episode as soon as it drops. We only have a few left before we close them out with the end of this year, 2021, which will happen at the end of December of this year. So so subscribe and uh, tell your friends, share it and uh, drop me some reviews and ratings. I'd appreciate it. And stick around for next week when you'll hear all about 2018 and the beginning of a really rough couple of years. Thanks for listening. Thank you.